be all over the book of Proverbs this morning, so uh, you may be able to get to many of these verses. You may not be able to get to all of them, but uh, that's primarily the text that we'll be drawing from, the book of Proverbs. A news article came out a few years back uh, that was titled, Five Things That Teens Don't Know About Money. And uh, the article stated that it's not safe to assume that teenagers know the basics about money. Surveys show that teens are failing at financial literacy. And according to uh, personal finance and business education teachers, there are kind of five main things that they highlighted that represent the most gaping holes in teens' money knowledge. And and those five things were this, uh, bank account basics, budgeting, the power of compounding, which could happen in, in various ways through interest or investing, whatever the case may be, keeping credit reports clean, and also rainy day savings. Uh, interestingly, the article doesn't blame teenagers for their illiteracy in this regard, and obviously there would be teenagers who are very well versed, but this article simply recognizes the severity of the problem and the need for a solution. This is not good. And I think the odds are high, actually, that many teenagers are financially illiterate because their parents are as well. And the way that uh, money is managed in the home, that's something that, that most of us pick up on. Where did most of us learn how to manage our money? Well, probably we picked up a lot just from whatever mom and dad did. Many people, I think it'd be safe to say, many people have a wrong view and a wrong approach to money. And Proverbs certainly has a lot to say of, about that. Uh, Jesus had much to say about money. We read about it all through Scripture. Uh, So what does God have to say about it? Well, you are a steward of all that God gives you. And because of that, you must learn to handle your earthly treasure in a way that pleases Christ. Again, the Bible has a ton to say about money. God cares how you use it, uh, not even just how you use it, but also your mentality about it, your views about it. And God blesses those who manage it well. Uh, If you've opened up to the book of Proverbs, look with me at chapter 3. I want to begin this morning in verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Solomon writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're going to look this morning at three basics about money. Um, this, this is not particularly about giving. It's just about our money in general and how we handle it and how we view it. First basic is you must view money properly. How do you view your money? God gives you money for you to use in a way that pleases him. It's not really yours. And I think we have to start at that foundational level. It's his. And so because God has given you this, it's your job to manage it well uh, proper stewards of money, proper stewardship of money all starts with how you view it. It's not just what you do with it. It's actually how you think about it. God owns everything. And we have to start there that everything I possess is God's. Every single thing. So how should you view money? Well, you might, I think biblically you should view it this way. View money as a gift, not as an acquisition or something that you've personally acquired. Most people view their accumulation of wealth as their own doing. And they're quick to take credit for it. We hear statements like this, well, you know what, he's a self-made man. Or she's a self-made woman. These phrases describe a person who was born perhaps 
uh, poor or otherwise disadvantaged, but actually kind of rose up out of that and achieved great economic or other success thanks to their own hard work and ingenuity. And we'd certainly understand that. In fact, we'd appreciate it and the, the character that it perhaps would take for that to occur. In a very real way, you are responsible for your financial state. There's, there's, there's no escaping that, right? But Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, if you want to flip over there really quickly with me. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says this, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. It doesn't say that you make yourself rich. It says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich. It's interesting, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, uh, would maybe speak to both sides of that. It says that the Lord makes poor and makes rich. That's an interesting statement. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. God's in this picture somewhere. Don't forget where all of your blessings come from. At the end of the day, you're really not self-made. And so you want to view money, if you're going to view it biblically, you should view money as a gift from God, not a personal acquisition. Also, you should view money as a means, not an end. Proverbs chapter 11, if you're still there in Proverbs, look with me at verse 4 and what Solomon says there. He says that riches do not profit in the day of wrath. What's the day of wrath? Well, That's not referring to today specifically. That seems to be referring to the day of the Lord, as the Old Testament would probably speak of, the day of judgment. Riches are of no advantage to you on the day of judgment. Solomon's highlighting that that this earthly life as we know it is going to pass away, and then eternity awaits. And in that context, your riches don't do you any good. Money isn't the answer when it comes to your eternal well-being. And the goal of life is never to accumulate wealth. God didn't put you on earth with the primary goal of you becoming rich. The goal of life is not to accumulate wealth, but to please the Lord. And that can certainly and should include your money. But because of this reality, you should view money as actually a tool to accomplish the goal of life. The goal, money's not the ultimate means for for me uh, to, to... it's just not everything. But it is a tool for me to use to accomplish the the big goal, to please the Lord and invest in eternity. eternity. It's a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. So what you want to do is ask, well, what does God want me to do with all of the resources he's given me? What does pleasing God look like and how can I use my money to do it? Uh, Speaking of our wealth and possessions, we often say things like this, and we hear this preached, and it's true that you can't take it with you, right? You can't take your money with you into eternity. And that's true, kind of. You can't take your earthly riches to heaven, but that doesn't mean that you can't take those earthly riches and convert them into heavenly treasure. How do you exchange earthly money for eternal Riches, And I, I think that's really, for the Christian, what's so important. If you were to perhaps immigrate from Canada to another country, uh, you would end up probably exchanging a lot of your money from a Canadian currency to some other currency. Imagine with me that all of a sudden, 
uh, across the globe that governments start saying we're going to get away from cash and we're going to get away from coins and we're everybody's moving to some sort of electronic currency, whether it be a Bitcoin or something else. And you have six months to take all of your physical cash and coin and all of that and get it converted. But there's limits on it. You can only convert maybe $1,000 a day or $5,000 a day. So what would you do? Well, in six months, that cash is going to be worth nothing. So over the course of the next six months, you have to figure out, how do I convert it to electronic currency? Day after day after day until I get it all converted. And in many ways, our, our physical wealth would be that same way. How do I take what God has given me? And over the course of of my entire life, make this stuff count for eternity, knowing I can't take it with me. And I think if if we wanted to this morning, we could look at several different ways that the Christian does this. Remembering that our wealth is, it's all God's, not just a a percentage, whether that's 5% or 10% or 30%. No, all of it, everything we possess is God's. So how do I take 100% of what God gives me and use it for him? Well, okay, that's going to include some things like what you, where you giving to the Lord and, and God's work, but it's, it's all God's and it's all God's work. We use it for eternity when we, when we manage it well, when we uh, handle it well, when we budget well, when we do all those things. In fact, we could even go so far as to say, looking at a book like Ecclesiastes, that actually we can transfer our, our earthly wealth into the eternal realm in some ways, even when we enjoy it with God in view. If you were with us a few years back when we looked at Ecclesiastes, I mean, Solomon's just highlighting the, the value of enjoying life under the sun with God in view. The Christian life and the, the management of our resources is not like, well, Christians of all people should be stingy, scrooges, and all their They can't have any fun. No, we're so different than that. We should manage the whole package in a way that we, 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 some money goes here. We use other money for this. We even enjoy our money with God in view. The world can't do that the way that we can as God's people. There are several ways that we make our money count for eternity. View money as a means, not an end. And also view money as a blessing, not a God. People are prone to make an idol out of money and the security and the comfort and leisure or perhaps even popularity that it provides. If you're there with me in Proverbs, look at chapter 11, verse 28. We read there, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. If you trust in riches for security and satisfaction, you will be sorely disappointed because God didn't make money to satisfy you. And that that could be true of money or relationships or whatever else. If you elevate it up to, to some kind of pedestal and you call this thing God and you look for it to satisfy you and do everything for you, it was never created for that. God didn't make money to satisfy you. He intends for you to be satisfied in Him. So God would give us a couple warnings, such as watch out for greed. Proverbs 15 Verse 27 says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Similarly, Proverbs 28 verse 20 says, whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. God's giving us some warnings here. Watch out for greed. Remember, the goal of life is not to be rich, but to please Christ. 
Jesus, I think, would warn us to watch out as well for covetousness. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said, Take care, be on your guard, watch out against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Isn't that hard to beat into our brains? That we, go, we live every day going to work and trying to manage our resources and we like stuff and we like things and Jesus would just remind us your life isn't about all those things. It, in, it includes all those things. But your life does not consist in the abundance of, of what you own and what you possess. Your life is so much bigger than the things you own and the money that's in your account. It's hard for us to think that way. View money as a blessing, not a God. Also, view money as a vapor, not a solid. Vapor tends to dissipate and disperse, doesn't it? It's there one moment, gone the next, while solids tend to be more permanent. Money is transitory by nature. If you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, Solomon's going to highlight this. Money seems like this great security blanket. It, it, it'll protect you against all sorts of things. And actually, that's true. We'll see that in just a moment. But it doesn't mean that it can't disappear or vanish or go away. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not toil. And the idea there seems to be, uh, do not overwork to acquire wealth. Where, where you start to get things out of balance. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And likewise, Proverbs 27 verse 24 says, we're just reminded that riches don't last forever. Money is a temporary commodity, not a permanent fixture. Uh, Riches cannot be your ultimate fortress. The Bible is going to talk about wealth and our money as as some kind of security and fortress, but not the ultimate, ultimate fortress Following the First World War, Germany made the decision to fund its war debts by borrowing instead of taxing its citizens. Probably a tough decision to make at the time. But consequently, that led to an inflation spike in the Weimar Republic. And at its worst, Germany reached a monthly inflation rate, this is crazy, of 29,500% in October of 1923. I mean, that's just insane. Every year we talk about how much was inflation, how much did it go up, 2 3%, 5 maybe. They're talking about 29,500% October 1923. In December of 1923, 4.2 trillion marks would get you, at the time, one U.S. dollar. 4.2 trillion marks. Germans ended up finding it cheaper to actually burn their currency in place of firewood and coal. That was cheaper to heat their home that way. You can find pictures online. I remember in high school uh, seeing seeing some of these pictures in in our school books of actually people in that time uh, with wheelbarrows just packed full of, of paper bills, wheeling them down the streets, and children playing with stacks of bills because they were basically completely worthless. Riches have a unique way of making themselves wings. And so God reminds us to view money as a vapor, not a solid. It's like that that money, it can sprout wings, as Proverbs says, and fly away. Make sure that you view your money properly. Treat it as a gift from God. All of it. 
And not just your money, all of your possessions, it all came to you from God. Treat it as a gift from the Lord to be used to please Him and further His purposes. It's not a God. Don't make it an idol or view it as a personal acquisition or the secret to your security and your satisfaction and everything else. And ask yourself the tough questions about your view of money. I don't, I don't think any of us ever get to the point in life where it's like, you know what, I just got it. And I always think about my money the right way and I always view my possessions the right way. There's something, in, I think, all of us in our flesh that it's just a constant battle all through life to view our possessions and money as God would have us. And so we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. A second basic about money is that you must acquire money honorably. God cares how you get your money and how you increase your wealth. Proverbs 13, if you would uh, flip over there with me to verse 11, I think a really important uh, verse here for all of us to consider. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And big picture there, God is reminding us that there's a right way and there's a wrong way probably uh, to get money and to increase it. And typically, I think we're reminded from this verse, typically the right way is slow and steady through hard work and wise, perhaps, investments. God wants you to, to choose to increase your wealth and your money ethically. Proverbs 14, verse 23, if you want to look there, we're reminded that in all toil, in all work, there's profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. And I love how Solomon, his view of work there, in all work, there's profit. He's not like, you know what? There's this certain type of work that's just way better than another type. And if you work in this field or that occupation, you're like somebody important. Or if you're over here doing this, well, that's, that, that's not very significant. No, Solomon is just, in all work, there's profit. You notice Solomon's view of work? It's a good thing. But mere talk tends only to poverty. Throughout the scriptures, God regularly portrays work as the primary way of earning an income. And your work, whether it be something that many might view as menial or other people might look at and go, wow, that's magnificent. Your work is commendable in God's eyes. One of the things that I actually wonder about in our current situation and just the day and age in which we live, things have changed a lot over the last 50, 100, 200 years and I think about the way that uh, many of us perhaps grew up or our kids are growing up. I think you have this situation where you actually have fewer and fewer young people who are actually working or, or, or put in that position maybe because um, just on a, from a financial perspective, maybe there's no need like there was 100, 200 years ago where mom and dad need your help and like you got to help out on the farm or whatever else. And now it's almost like we have so much wealth that you could mooch off mom and dad for a long time. You could wait a very long time to actually start being a person who works. And it's so dangerous. Don't despise work. Don't run from it. Pursue it. And when we talk about work, I also think it's important to remember that work is pre-fall. I think we, we think about work and go, well, it's hard. Well, it is hard, right? Because when the fall happened, all of a sudden you've got the thorns and the thistles and the sweat and the pain. 
and your alarm goes off in the morning and you're like, I don't want to work today. But when we back up to the Garden of Eden and the way that God created Adam, he specifically said that he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it, to cultivate it and then to preserve it in the condition uh, that he had worked to, to, to put it in. God made Adam to work and keep the garden before sin ever entered the world. That was God's good plan before there was ever sin. Work is a good thing. And especially, I think, for men in particular, when men do not work, it's a very unsatisfying situation. And even if they're trying really hard to find work, to sit and not be able to do much, God didn't wire us that way. Work is very important, and we should pursue it and choose to increase our money ethically. And on the flip side of that, refuse to increase our money sinfully. It is possible to increase wealth, but to do it in an inappropriate way. God warns against increasing money in the following ways. I'll just mention some of these in Proverbs. In Proverbs 20, verse 17, God warns against increasing wealth in some way, shape, or form by deceiving I mean, just the, I think a, a classic example, you, you have all different types of car salesmen in the world, right? You have some that are very ethical and very honest and are, are going to tell you what's there in that vehicle. And you could have another guy on the flip side of that who goes, well, I won't tell him about this, I won't tell him about that, I'll make the sale and they'll have to deal with the problems later. God warns against increasing money by deceiving, also by lying, Proverbs 21, verse 6, by wickedness, Proverbs 10, verse 2, by oppression, Proverbs 22, verse 16. By injustice, Proverbs 28, verse 8. These things are all real temptations in the world in which we work. And some of you, 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 you may be earning your money in very, very ethical ways, and yet on, in your various roles and in your job, all of a sudden you get in positions where you actually you can be deceptive. You can be dishonest. You, you can be unjust and maybe nobody would ever know about it. And God says that's wrong. The sinful accumulation of wealth is always wrong and it warrants God's judgment. If you have to sin against God or another person to make money, you're going about it the wrong way. My grandfather is now in his late 80s and uh, he has been retired for as long as I can remember. I think pretty much the time I was born, Grandpa retired, which I believe was at, a, at about age 55 for him. He told me that right out of high school, he did an apprenticeship and went straight into the factory, I think about 18 years of age. And one hard day of work at a, at a time from 18 to 55 uh, my grandfather accumulated wealth. I wouldn't call him rich by any means. I, I think they had nice things growing up. They lived in a small house. But he's, though I wouldn't call him rich, he's certainly comfortable and financially independent. But the reality is he's actually never stopped working. And one of the things about my grandfather that I've appreciated is one, it was always obvious to me that, that he was a hard worker. But because of his financial independence and because of the fact that at 18 he did an apprenticeship and immediately started working full-time from 18 to 55, he was actually able to, to retire at 55. And obviously there were some different things in, in that time, in that period, that maybe allowed for that, pensions and that sort of thing. But because of his financial independence, he was actually able, as long as I could remember with my grandfather, he was just volunteering. He was still working. He was just doing it for free. 
And he got saved later in life and uh, trusted Christ. But basically from 55 on, he was volunteering as a sort of maintenance man at his church. Oh, I'll just go fix this and I'll just go fix that. And he's just serving because he had managed his money in such a way and he had worked hard enough that by the time he got to 55, well, he was free to, to serve in ways that if he hadn't managed it well, he wouldn't have been in that position. And I've always respected his, frankly, very simple, diligent work ethic. I think it's extremely commendable. And his management of his resources. God wants you to acquire money honorably. And by God's grace, seek to cultivate. He wants you to cultivate a work ethic and maintain it throughout your whole life. Whether you're in, a, again, a menial job from the world's perspective or something that others might view as quite magnificent. Third basic about money is God, you must handle money wisely. That's what God wants of you. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Solomon writes here that a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You need the wisdom of God's word to help you manage your money wisely. All of us do. And the Bible offers at least four words of wisdom in this regard. I've shared these briefly uh, before, but I want to work through them here over the next few moments. Four words of wisdom. We can take them all from the book of Proverbs here. First word of wisdom is save diligently. We see this commended many times in Scripture. If you're in Proverbs, look at chapter 13, verse 7. We read there, and I, I love this verse. I, I just find it to be so true, even though we don't always quite know what's going on. But there's a reality here that is so accurate. He writes, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. What a reminder from that verse that things are not always as they appear, are they? Solomon's saying you have people that play the part of a rich man who aren't. And you have other people who actually look like they're poor, but they aren't. And I'm sure that, that there's a huge spectrum there, of course. With everyone in between. But according to this verse, some people pretend to be quite wealthy. They live perhaps in a nice big house. They drive nice big cars. They buy new clothes regularly. They go on expensive vacations and holidays and all the rest. And perhaps what they're doing is actually charging most of that to their credit card or whatever the case may be. They end up leveraged up to their eyeballs. And none of what they have actually really belongs to them. And yet it looks like they, they just have so much. And in reality, someone else owns what you see. And then on the flip side of that, if, if we're kind of portraying this in two extremes, you may have others who live in relatively modest homes. They drive modest, average, maybe even old cars. They're, they're not going out buying expensive clothes all the time. They may even be couponing to buy their groceries. And they may, they may even, uh, the way that they live their lives, you might even think, I, they kind of look like they're struggling a little bit. They're so frugal and it's like they seem to be counting everything and being so meticulous and careful with their money when in reality they actually have great savings and wealth because of the way that they live. All of those little choices that they're making, it's all adding up to great wealth accumulated probably over time. In this verse, 
God's commending really the saver, not the debtor, the person who manages his money carefully versus the one who doesn't. God wants us all to learn the importance of delayed gratification that just because we could somehow leverage ourselves to to get something and have it now, that that's probably not the best choice. You don't have to have it all now. Money tends to increase slowly, but it accrues over time. And God's given us actually some specific reasons to save. There are many. I just highlight a few. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. One of the reasons that we save is actually to maintain economic security. We know that money's not a God. It's not our ultimate fortress. God is. But listen to what Proverbs 10, verse 15 says. It says that a rich man's wealth is his strong city. That's interesting. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Though you must not rely on money, it does help protect you, doesn't it? Against all kinds of things. Against poverty, homelessness, starvation, economic downturns, when things start to get difficult. It helps you meet the basic needs of life. Why else do we save? Well, we also save to meet the needs of other people, not just ourselves. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9. Or if you don't have time to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, whoever has a bountiful, or we could say generous eye, will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Do you want to be a person who's able to do that? I mean, I, I know people who may not have much, and, and they would be the very, they would give you the shirt off of their back, even, even though they don't have much themselves. But what if you manage your money in such a way that you're actually in a position as needs arise to say, you know what, God has blessed me. And now my brother or sister is in Christ and I can meet that need. What a joy, what a privilege that is. By the way, you want to be a saver, not a hoarder. And there's a really big difference in that. I mean, a colossal difference between someone who methodically saves their money and someone who hoards it. You don't want to be in the hoarder category. Not a good thing. Why else do we save? Proverbs 13, verse 22, if you want to turn there, one of the reasons that we save is to leave an inheritance for one's children. Saving, managing our wealth. Proverbs 13, verse 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children or his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. How do you leave an inheritance to your grandchildren? If you don't manage your money well, I mean, sure, you could come into a great inheritance. But you're probably going to leave an inheritance to your grandchildren by decades of managing your money God's way and saving it carefully. A second word of wisdom is to spend carefully. Turn to Proverbs 21, verse 20. Solomon says there in Proverbs 21, verse 20, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The foolish man, I think based on this verse, we could say that he burns through his precious resources. It it indicates that the foolish man has these precious treasures too, but he devours them. Foolish people waste their money. They spend it frivolously and carelessly. And as Christians, we should manage ours different. No, we're, we're actually, we're intentional with what we do with our resources. 
I think it's a good practice, especially as you're making large purchases, to even do something as simple as, as kind of a, a double take in the store before purchasing. Oh, you know what? This would be a great item. I would love to have that. And I think the temptation is, okay, I'm going to grab that, throw it in the cart, and up to the till we go. And maybe a wise thing is, okay, I think I'd like to have this. I'm just going to set it down on the shelf here. I'm going to walk around the store for a little bit and keep thinking about that. And then after I've done that, if I still think I need it, then maybe I'll go back and I'll grab it and I'll purchase it. But all sorts of little things like that, uh, we are wise to do as Christians just to make sure we manage our money well. A third word of wisdom, Proverbs 22, verse 7 if you want to turn there, third word is to owe cautiously. Well-known verse here. Such a good reminder that it says the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. No one really sets out to be a slave. Like, hey, sign me up. I'd love to be a slave. I can think of no better way than I would love to live my life than as a slave. No, no one's like, yeah, that would be great. And, and we, we just think one step ahead, maybe not ten. We think, well, if I do this, then I can have all this. And, and God's reminding us, no, you look further down the road. The borrower is slave to the lender. You make the decision to borrow and do that in an unwise way, you're going to be a slave. And just borrowing in general, we all know it to be true, right? Like, we you have a mortgage like probably most most or many of us do every month that payment's expected the bible does not forbid all debt in fact it even encourages us to lend money to others it simply cautions against debt and so we want to exercise great caution when it comes to taking on debt and ask good questions when we think about that uh, such as uh, if, if we could even maybe word it this way, is this a good type of debt or a bad type of debt? And I think once you start asking those questions, a lot of those things are really debatable. You know, for example, I, I've always heard, well, there are good types of debt, perhaps like your house or your education and those sorts of things. Well, I think those are questions we want to always ask. Is this good debt? Is that bad debt? Was that good debt 10 years ago and bad debt today? And just asking those questions, or am I going into debt for a majorly depreciating asset? Those are the questions we want to ask. And can I pay this off? How long is it going to take me to pay it off? And what's my total all-in cost? How much will this actually cost me in total to pay it off? Sure, the sticker price on this is so many thousand dollars, but if I'm actually paying for this for the next 10 years, it might be 17 grand, not 10. How much will it actually cost me factoring in interest, all those sorts of things? We want to owe cautiously. Again, debt is not forbidden by God, but God just warns us, lets us know, if you take on debt, you, you, you do become a slave. And many people, they, they, just, they become so indebted that eventually they're just constantly paying interest and nothing more. Going nowhere. Fourth word of wisdom is to give generously. And that starts with giving generously to God. Proverbs 3, verse 9, you can turn back there. It's where we started this morning. And I think we often view this verse actually as about, uh, primarily about our giving to the Lord. But it's very interesting how this is worded in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. We're told to honor 
Solomon says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. I think that first phrase, honor the Lord with your wealth, I mean, that's the whole package, right? That's not like this is God's percentage. No, this is all of my wealth, all of my possessions. Somehow, some way, I want to honor God with this stuff. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Dedicate your money to God and give to him first. God's not asking for your leftovers, but for your first fruits. That, that the gift to the Lord should be top on our priority list. It's not, well, after I've done this, 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 and this, and whatever's maybe left over, I'll find a way to give some of that back to the Lord. No, God's not asking for your leftovers, but your first fruits. Give generously to God, remembering that he owns everything anyway. And also, if you turn to Proverbs 19, verse 17, we're reminded there to give generously to other people. And we've already seen this, but I want to look at it again. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. That is, that is an incredible concept. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God wants us to be generous with what he's given us to other people. Captain Uriah Phillips Levy was a naval officer. He was a real estate investor and a philanthropist. And he was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work. I don't know what was meant by that exactly. But how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still possess great wealth. Like How do you keep giving so much and yet you still have so much? And he replied this way. He said, oh, well, as I shovel it out, he, speaking of God, shovels it in and the Lord has a bigger shovel. I think there are probably many of you in this room and you could testify to that. Yeah, I, I, over the years of my life, I have tried to generously give to the Lord and generously give to other people, but I can't keep up with God's shovel. God is like that. Think about the ways that God has been faithful to you. He is so, so faithful. I know as my wife and I would look at our own lives and the way that God has blessed us and the things that he's handed us and put into our hands, I just can't fathom it sometimes. God always has a bigger shovel. All this stuff is his to begin with. You must handle your money wisely. Save diligently. Spend carefully. Oh, cautiously and give generously. You're a steward of all that God gives you. So learn to handle your earthly treasure in a way that pre pleases Christ. Many of you are familiar with John Wesley. He was a preacher of many, many years gone by. And he became quite famous. And in all of his fame, he also became quite wealthy. He earned quite the annual income as he became increasingly well known. And he chose to actually, because of that great wealth, he ended up choosing to live on 2% of what he made. That's incredible. Most of us would never be able to do that. 2% of what he made and he gave the other 98%. And he chose to operate financially based on the following three principles. And here were his three. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Now, I think we have to look at that first part especially, gain all you can, and look at the validity of that biblically. And I think when we ask, is that biblical or not, it all comes down to the heart motive behind it. If his motivation was, hey, I, I can work hard, I can do these things, I have the ability to acquire wealth within balance, and then I can turn around and use that wealth, that's great. If this is to get rich for me, well, that's bad. 
uh, if I'm making an idol out of this or a god out of this. But what a great example, I think, for all of us today living in North America, that our money's not our own, that it really all belongs to him. And however we use it, however we manage it, we want to do that in a way that pleases the Lord. Would you bow in prayer with me as we conclude this morning?